Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to another edition of the How to Bet the Kentucky Derby podcast, episode three. If you have not checked out earlier episodes, we had Scott Shapiro on Monday, Bruno DiGiulio on Tuesday. Scott with some general thoughts on his approach to preparing to handicap the Derby. Uh, Bruno, uh, who's Bruno with the Works Clocker Report, uh, some information on how he assesses uh, morning workouts, gallops, etc., and how that might affect his wagering strategy. Uh, and today, uh, we have Emily Gullickson of Optics, and I'm keenly uh, interested in what she has to say because Optics is the type of product uh, that does have, uh, in, in some ways, a sort of black box retail product. Um, you know, it spits out a plot, and that's what I've been learning to use to add to my handicapping. Um, but I say I'm interested in what she has to say about that because uh, as someone who uses BristNet's Always software, the Derby, for me, is one of those races where I'm actually familiar with all the horses running and I have certain expectations, and then, you know, you feed the entries into the software, and it spits out something that you know, maybe I wasn't expecting, or, you know, I love Classic Empire and always might not pick him, and, you know, that's going to be an issue for me if that happens. So uh, kind of interested in Emily's thoughts, uh, and she watches a lot of races and takes a lot of notes, something I do not, so that sort of balances with the whole plot thing as well. She knows what she's seen with their eyes. What do the numbers say when she ultimately runs them? And how does that affect how she handicaps daily races and uh, the Kentucky Derby itself? So uh, let's bring Emily on for those questions and maybe a little fashion advice later. Emily, how are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? Doing very well. Uh, inside a week and a half now to the Kentucky Derby, uh, you and I uh, – gotten to know each other a little bit with Twitter and the handicap contest scene. Uh, I actually don't know how into the, the derby you are in general, though. Uh, no secret, it's my favorite race, and I'm pretty much uh, gung-ho on it once the points races start, and this is months ago now. Uh, I get the sense you're not quite the type maybe that is it's just another race, but uh, where do you sort of fall on the spectrum of what uh, the derby is for you as a handicapper? Um, yeah, I don't know if it's necessarily my favorite race, but I do look forward to it every year. Um, it's a fun race to handicap. I always find the day in general, um, just a good day of racing and usually find a race on the undercard that's more exciting to me as far as a a betting, you know, I I haven't been playing that long. So my, my history with the Derby isn't, is it too extensive, but yeah, overall, I, I like, I like the day. Um, I think, you know, just kind of following, I was listening to you and Scott and, how everybody wants to pick the winner. And I just think that that's something that everybody does want to pick the winner because it's something that you remember year after year um, versus, you know, like the fourth race on a Friday, you're not <laughs> that kind of go. So yeah, it's, it is, it's an exciting day. Um, you know, we've, of course I've already started. We did the videos yesterday with um, Scott and John Doyle also from optics. So we dug into it videos, you know, about an hour and a half. And then between all of our talk on that, we were, uh, talking about racing for about two and a half hours. So I've, I've looked at this race quite a bit so far. 
All right. Well, I live in Lexington, and uh, I know that that stuff's on YouTube. But the, the marvels of the iPhone, uh, you know, can almost sort of turn it into a podcast somewhat. I have quite a few hour drives ahead of me, um, so that might uh, help keep me company. Uh, I am glad you you mentioned optics, which I did as well at the top of the hour uh, on this podcast, trying to avoid too much of uh, getting in the weeds of what each handicapping thing does, but. Uh, optics certainly uh, relatively new uh, compared to a lot of the stuff uh, I might be talking about from a BristNet perspective uh, and just from a personal standpoint. As you know, uh, BristNet is uh, going to be providing uh, some data to optics uh, starting May 1. So, um, you know, we'll have a, a professional relationship in earnest. But, um, you know, can you, you just touch on the optics approach? And I mentioned the plot and you do the notes. Uh, but overall, you know, what, what, what went into you and John deciding that this product needed to be out in the market? Uh, well, really, you know, John, John kind of started, and I came on fairly fairly early, but really, you know, after John winning the NHC, he was like, I have to figure out how to do all this work that I put in, you know, getting prepared for the NHC um, faster, because it's just, it's to do all this on your own, it's an absolute drain, and in fact, it's impossible. You know, I cover two tracks, but um, w between the team, we pretty much have five tracks covered, and that's just too much for any one person. So, um, you know, being able to have all the notes, all your replay work, um, tools like like plot and optics figures, and then a couple other things we have coming up that you know you can use and are reliable, and um, we just found that it was just imperative to handicapping and something that just it's not found in kind of a traditional past performance standpoint um you know that kind of quickly looks at uh, a pace scenario class speed or you know all that type of stuff which if you're you know looking at a traditional pt you kind of have to then you'll have to go back and watch your replays and maybe um use some extra pieces of information elsewhere and we want to incorporate that all in one place so everything is all integrated within Optics. Yeah, I've uh, definitely enjoyed getting in, into it, and uh, in particular, the the plots sort of speak to my my visual and and numbers style handicapping. Not that there's numbers with the plots, but just with the the shapes and where they are on the grid. Um, just familiar to me from you know being a uh, a numbers guy, and uh, we'll talk to Danny Zucker next week of Predictive Form, and that's uh, another service I use that Bristnet also provides data for. Uh, and they sort of look at the form cycles, and that's something I I uh, look at with them. Uh, one thing I, I thought was really interesting uh, with optics that I wanted to talk to you about uh, with the notes and and the plot, but you know the Derby and Scott and Bruno and I really didn't touch on this, but. Uh, it's a mile and a quarter race, saw the horses going a mile and a quarter for the first time. Uh, so that, you know, to me is definitely an edge for those that watch a lot of races that, you know, maybe have some cues on what horses can stretch out or can't. Uh, and uh, I'm just curious your thoughts uh, on this crop in general to get the classic distance. And, uh, you know, we don't want to give have you give away any specific secrets to certain horses. That will all come next week to those who are more interested. Uh, but just in general, um, you know, what, what you sort of look for in a final prep that says, hey, this is what they did in a mile and an eighth. Can they go on with it or not? Yeah, it's, it's, it's really one of those things where it just kind of, it either jumps out at you, you know, if you're not spending too much time thinking about it. And 
I think it's one of those that you almost go more, not necessarily can this horse get it, but um, for my personal handicapping, you know, because one, you know, I, I always start, I'm going to assess the favorite, you know, and look for, we can kind of talk about that a little bit more, but assess the favorite. And then um, when kind of getting into betting and handicapping side is eliminating horses. So if there's certain horses that we've been able to come up with, you know, over watching races, because every single one of these horses, we have a note on since their debut. So we really have kind of got to see them develop and uh, do different things. You know, even the ones that are, you know, lightly raced have a little bit more seasoning. We can see what they're all about. And there's certain horses that if we know, you know, uh, this horse is shorter, this horse is one turn. That's so much easier when you go through and handicap because it's just one less horse to worry about um, in the race. And the more horses that you could eliminate kind of cut through all the noise, it makes the race a lot a lot easier, a lot clearer picture, and you just have more confidence. Um, and that's that's obviously, you know, without giving commercial a benefit to optics. And when you say eliminate, how do you uh, structure that? Uh, you know, there's a lot of betting options really every day now, but, you know, the Derby, there's a lot of talk about which pools might be the best to be in. When you say eliminate, do you are you thinking more often on the win end or uh, are you thinking even, you know, what horses can get forth? Um, what you know how 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 high up on the uh, on the uh, order of finish board when you say eliminate are you referring to? Um, you know, I guess the, the Derby's a, a little bit different because you know you have you have twenty horses and stuff. But as far as there being contenders, you know, horses that I really think that can win, um, that's sort of a different process of elimination. You know, I'm looking for horses that have um, that have high grades in those graded stake races that have speed figures that are um, that are on the top of the field. You know, we don't have any negative knocks. You know, we're not looking at a horse that's got like a regress keyword or hard or short or anything like that. Um, those are the horses, you know, and then of course using the plot and squares being quite dominant. So all those things kind of line up. Those are the horses to me that are like the real strong win contenders. And kind of going through, I see maybe like three or four. Um, obviously, I'm going to dig into a little bit more and then uh, as horses, because I'm looking at 27 horses right now on the plot, um, you know, kind of cut some out and maybe upgrade downgrade, but that's kind of the way it looks to me. And then there's certain horses that I just don't think are going to stick around for, for four, just kind of based on, based on numbers or based on notes um, or based on, based on the plot. Um, maybe I can give an example. Um, I don't know if that's easier or not. <laughs> Uh, no, I, I'm all for it, yeah. Um, so, like, one of the horses that I would be looking at, of course, and not finalized, but one of the horses I'm kind of doing pre-stuff and after doing the videos yesterday that I'd be sort of looking as far as a horse that um, might not be in fourth, you know, to kind of, like, trim your tickets um, would be a horse like Gormley because his plot is a big circle in quadrant one. Um, speed figures are soft. Uh, the grades are a little bit on the low side. So there's, you know, there's knocks on a horse that, um, you know, might be a, kind of like a fuzzy for people. You know, you know, I mean, a horse that's easy to eliminate, like uh, fast and accurate or something, that's probably going to be an elimination for everybody. But trying to find a horse that maybe people, you know, would use and, and try to eliminate that horse and, and do so with, with confidence. So those are the things I'm, I'm kind of looking for. 
Yeah, and, and with Gormley, uh, you know, we talk a lot about how the, the Derby will be bet and how we can bet it. And, you know, the reality with him is he won his last race. That definitely gets attention among this t- type of wagering crowd. Uh, and he has a trainer, which is well-known among uh, whether it's Derby fans with Giacomo or Zenyatta, certainly, and, and Victor Espinosa needs no introduction. So I'm, I'm sort of with you. I mean, yeah, fast and accurate kind of, and that's everyone's elimination. But uh, Gormley uh, is, is a good one, and uh, he and fast and accurate uh, both have another distinction. Uh, neither one has ever been favored in their race, uh, and those horses are one for 60 over the last 25 years. So uh, I would, my spin on that is if the wagering public never thought they were the most likely winner in a race, uh, you know, why, why all of a sudden in the Derby would they win? So uh, to me it makes sense, but others might think it's just a, a funny stat. But nevertheless, I'm with you on Gormley uh, for sure. Uh, back to the, the distance question. Uh, to me, uh, people say, you know, a mile and an eighth to a mile and a quarter, definitely a, a much bigger jump uh, than, say, a mile and a sixteenth to a mile and an eighth that they might, might make early in the year. Is there another distance jump that people might be more familiar with? Because we don't really see a lot of mile and a quarter races, uh, and typically they're at the grade one level when the general public is paying attention. Uh, but for you, uh, watching races as you do, is it six to seven furlongs? Is it one turn to two turns? That's a, a jump on par with this. What, what what would you give as an example for you know people that might be more familiar with lesser distances? Um, yeah, I would I would say probably the one turn to two turn because they're they're just so different. Um, there's certain horses that um, just on certain characteristics or run style or just the way that they carry themselves that you just you can tell that this is more of a a one-turn horse and versus two-turn horse. Um, I can't think of any that are that are in the Derby that kind of single out. But um, you know that that to me is is the biggest. Um, you know, and then as far as ten furlongs go, I mean, it's really hard to say. Like, there's a horse that's like screaming in this group for that for that extra ground. Um, but again, a few that I'm I'm not as not as sold on um, to do it. And from from what you've seen of uh, whether it's uh, the, the optics information or your notes or, you know, just, just your assessment of the group as a whole, do you foresee this being the type of race where you would want to key on a single horse or are you thinking, okay, it's, you're buying sort of the open hype and there's X number uh, who can win and you'd sort of just kind of try to blanket the bets with them? Uh, where are you leaning in towards a, in terms of one horse or many uh, in your wagering strategy? Um, wagering strategy and handicapping for any race, like I said earlier, is always going to go with assessing the favorite, and, um, and and that's just kind of where it starts. So, you know, Classic Empire, I think, is, is safe to say he's going to be the favorite. Would you agree? Uh, yes. Okay. So, you know, if I'm looking at a horse like that and just kind of, you know, my notes on this horse, um, he fits on class. He has three B-plus grades in a, in a grade one, um, speed figures, triple-digit speed figure, uh, favorable plot. Um, you know, there's other questions, just kind of, you know, his antics and things like that and, and physical appearance, um, you know, having sort of that one weird race in, in Florida at Gulfstream. 
um, where he washed out and, you know, things that would kind of fuck your confidence, but you can't really see that five races ahead of time. Um, so, yeah, that's where I would start. Found a lot of holes in him, like if he was coming off a regress in the uh, Arkansas Derby, um, then I would be really spreading. But if it's a horse, I, I just, like, I can't toss him. You know, I can't, there's, there's logical things that I can see this horse winning and that there's, there's factors that make him incredibly strong. I have to, I have to start there and, and then kind of go out um, from that perspective. Yeah. And interesting uh, looking at your numbers uh, looks like from a speed figure wise, uh, you have his Arkansas Derby as a top and actually the Holy Bull pretty quick, which uh, Raggins and data did as well. Um, And, you know, the, Inclination from the you know the crowd is well he lost at odds on he was third in fact uh, well beaten never really looked like a winner um, and you know from what we've seen that may be more about him having lost his race uh, on the track before he even loaded and while he loaded uh, versus what actually happened but I mean the number really for that race isn't horrible. Um, and is better on on some services than others. Uh, you know, what what do you what did you make of that? And what would you like to see uh, on the days leading up to the Derby to to give you a final vote of confidence on him? Um, yeah, I, I I didn't think that the Holy Bowl was was that terrible of a race. Um, you know, I didn't I didn't bet him, so you know, I'm kind of looking a little bit more. I'm doing notes in general, I'm I'm very objective, but that race came back as uh, rated as a B minus and um, he was a complete mess before paddock minus um, very reluctant to load. And then just that type of trip at Gulfstream is just not, it's not a winning trip. It's just not a good trip. And I thought that he ran, he ran decently considering all those factors. And so, um, you know, a B minus is, is not terrible and definitely had more upside. Um, I watched him, you know, I, I love the fact that you can stream, the workouts in the morning. If they did that for every track, I would watch every day because I, I just think that's <laughs> such good information. Um, and also, that's not anything new. I, I do with my handicapping. You know, um, there's I use I use Bruno. I've I've worked for Bruno. Bruno. I went out to Saratoga and and work with Bruno. Um, Donald does clocking for us and, and does a great job. So that's part of my my day in and day out handicapping. Um, and so I feel confident enough, like. You know, even watching simulcast, I can get somewhat of an idea. So I watched him schooling and went to the gate, and he did get warm um, while he was gate schooling and just kind of jogging, so not in, in a work. So I did want to note that, and I'll, I'll watch watch going up into it. Um, but, yeah, on, on other factors, it's hard for me to, to kind of poke holes in um, in, other, in other aspects. Uh, along the lines of, of watching the works, and, you know, one thing uh, many listeners probably wouldn't know, um, but, you know, whether it's Scott, you, or, or Bruno, uh, these three these are three people, and tomorrow we'll have on Gary Young, um, but, you know, basically doing it every day and uh, pretty consistently, you know, however it is you handicap or, or apply your trade here, you're, you're doing it on a daily basis, which I think is so important when looking at information 
for the Derby. Um, you know, these animals are all different, and just having that perspective of knowing what every race has looked like to me is, is so important. Uh, but some races are more important than others, especially the closer you get to the Derby. Um, for you, what what is when do you really start looking at the progression and and feel like okay now is the time where you can't uh, you know if you're going to be a serious derby contender um, things have to go right from here on out and obviously we have talked a lot about Classic Empire but McCracken uh, is in that boat he had some issues before the Bluegrass and missed the scheduled start Irish War Cry was awful in the Fountain of Youth. Uh, Gunavera missed as the favorite in the Florida Derby, although kind of ran his race anyways, just way out of it. But um, now we're hearing about Gervin missing a work and the bar shoes. Uh, what for you is sort of that line where, okay, from here on out, I need to see nothing but at the very least consistency from what we've seen in the past and hopefully improvement. Yeah, I, I think those, the, the, that's the key is, is consistency. You know, if it's a horse that, you know, he always works bad. You're not going to change your mind if he works bad because that's what he always does. You know, same thing. You have a horse that works good. You want them to continue to do that. I, I, you don't want to see any changes. Um, you know, as far as, you know, some of the other horses um, and you're, you're kind of having to like fine tune. Yeah. You would be wanting to look at that stuff. I think it's, you know, I wouldn't want to see an equipment change. Like a bar shoe would bother me. I'm one of those people. I don't like front wraps off a layoff. You know, it's just, it's kind of one of those more personal handicapping things. Um, but again, if you're, you know, if you're compensated on a price, you can start forgiving a little bit more, but you wouldn't want to have a whole lot of confidence. You know, if Gervin's like second choice at four to one and he's missed a work and he's wearing a bar shoe for the first time, that's an easy one for me to let go. Not that I see that being the case, but just as an, you know, as an example, um, sure. if he's, you know, and, and then, you know, you have, you have connections that'll do right by the horse. And if he's not right, obviously they're going to, they're going to make a change and they'll, they'll wait. You would, you would hope. So yeah, those, those are things that I, I would be looking for. I think the consistency and of course um, improvement, a horse is just really thriving going into the race um, might be, you know, if a horse that you're kind of on the fence about, you should, you know, go with your gut and upgrade. Is there any horse, uh, maybe last prep specifically, but if you need to go to, you know, what they did from two to three uh, that surprised you uh, that you weren't expecting them to, to be a, a derby contender this late in the year that either just kept going, you didn't think they would, or got better than you, you thought they would? Um, I, you know, not, not really. Um, you know, there's certain, there's certain little things that you'll, that you'll notice about horses, but I don't think there's any that, that really surprised as much. Um, yeah, there's no, you know, just kind of like swelling through the grid. There's no, like we, you know, drop or anything like that. Grades are pretty solid throughout pretty much horses that are earning B grades in their debut tend to be in this bunch. What, uh, so all this being said, uh, and you know, we're, we're well away still from picks and, and such, but I guess, uh, to me, one thing that would be interesting with you doing the notes and being so into the, the morning stuff as well, uh, like 
to me, especially with Leperoux on Classic Empire on the rail, uh, you know, it's, it's a bad enough post as it is, but to me that that would be uh, not great. Uh, James Scully, my colleague, uh, says the same about Irish War Cry, seems to prefer to be outside of horses. Uh, and, any others you think that draw is, is more important, you know, for a particular horse than um, some others, or who do you think doesn't need to worry about the draw as much? Um, yeah, I mean, the rail draw is going to be going to be tough for any horse, right? I and mean, we've just kind of seen that over and over again. Um, you know, as far as I, I can't real quick, I mean, I wasn't really prepared for this question, but nothing seems to really jump out at me as a horse that doesn't like being behind horses. Um, a horse like Irish Warcry, um, I think that horse, um, you know, there's there's definitely things to like about that horse. I don't necessarily think that the inside would be terrible because he he is he has he can be on the lead early he can clear and he has enough early speed and, and kind of find position. But in his races, uh, he has things go. He's had things go the right way. Um, you know whether it was a bias or um, you know a good ride or kind of a setup things like that, um, which would be a little bit more concerning than being like you know I don't have a note that's like this horse doesn't handle kickback something like that. Um, that's, that's sort of things I'd be looking for in the notes that would be like, okay, yeah, this horse doesn't like kickback and he's got uh, horses on either side of him that are going to go to the front and he's going to get a face full of dirt and have to drop all the way to the back and then be eliminated. That's kind of more, obviously, like you said, fine tuning once, once they have the draw. And uh, I got to the draw because I'm building to what happens after the draw, and that's building tickets. And as I mentioned, uh, we've run into each other mostly at, at handicapping contests and such, and uh, that's uh, win place, uh, mythical. Uh, if it's not a real money contest, uh, derby, obviously, almost every wagering type you'd want is on the table. Uh, do you have any early leans in terms of what pools you think might be best for your opinions? Um, you know, I, I actually, I haven't thought, I haven't thought that far ahead. Um, yeah, that's kind of one of those things that I'll, I'll wait for the draw and yeah. And then like in a, in a mid-cycle tournament, sort of the way that I, you know, if I, if I feel really strongly about a horse, then, um, and I've, I've handicapped it in a hundred different ways. I could see this horse winning. Uh, that's a different story, but generally I kind of, instead of making, making my own line, I, I, it's easier for me to associate words, you know, uh, below contender value, no value. So then when I'm, I'm looking at the board, I can make adjustments and I try to not get so narrowed down. Um, and that's probably a situation that I would do here. Um, you know, if I'm playing a, a mythical tournament for not a lockdown style where I can make my bet on the fly, I would just see which horse I think, um, is, being overlooked or as an overlay or, you know, something like that and adjusting. Yeah. I feel, I feel like we buried the lead. That was probably uh, what anyone tuning into this type of podcast, uh, good advice for sure. And I, I have a similar approach. I mean, those who uh, know my grids and, you know, I do the ABC thing. Um, that's sort of what I have in mind. I mean, if I have two or three A's, you can adapt. And if one of them is, you know, a much higher price than the others, uh, it's just 
sort of obvious from there who you would want to use. So, um, yeah, uh, I'm with you 100%. I'll put you on the spot, though, from a handicapping contest perspective, and obviously this can change, but uh, if you were in a position uh, that you had to stab in the derby, uh, who would you use today to try to get the cap horse to upset the field? Uh, like a cap horse only, a horse that I think would be a cap. Um, yeah, you, you, you need a cap horse. I mean, you basically, if you're, if you're going to win the tournament, you need to use a cap horse. Um, (laughs) that's so tough. Um, I think who's going to be a, who's going to be a cap? Uh, Maybe if uh, Patch, I really don't have that mm-hmm. horse as a connection. So that's tough. I mean, we're talking like real stab city. Um, yeah. <laughs> a lot of these horses, I think they'll kind of, well, will be closer around 15 more than 20 to one. That's what I right. was thinking of the stab. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, I think Patch might, might be up there though. Okay. Yeah. All right, we'll we'll let you say that for now. And obviously, uh, ne- never held to that a, a week out. And certainly, uh, even if you still felt that way uh, on Saturday, you might change it just because now everyone knows Patch is your cap horse, so uh, wouldn't want to be blocked. But uh, <laughs> very good. Uh, any other uh, thoughts on uh, what what you've seen and uh, what you or what you hope to see or will see over the next week to make your final uh, decisions? Um, yeah, I'm going to continue to, to watch, watch the live feed in the morning. Um, that's something I enjoy and can get good information out of. So I'll I'll continue to do that. Um, and then of course I just, you know, I am a little biased, but I just find our information is so great. So I'm, you know, just kind of looking forward to, to seeing the plot, um, you know, talking, talking with John and Scott a little bit more, we're going to kind of catch up and they're great and, um, offer good information and good opinion. And, and yeah, that's, I mean, other than that, I have, I don't really have to watch any videotape, which is nice. I feel very, very ahead of the game on that perspective. So yeah, it's just kind of more watching the works and fine tuning draw and, and price. Awesome. Uh, yeah, well, it'll be a good week and uh, encourage everyone to follow May Hemily uh, on Twitter. Uh, I'm sure she'll augment all this information and all the good stuff she talked about with John and Scott uh, on that YouTube series. Uh, show up links to that if, if you didn't get it. But, uh, yeah, keep us posted uh, as you get closer to Derby with, with your thoughts from the plot and the notes, et cetera. And uh, hopefully we'll all cash. Well, we can't all cash. It's paramutual. But those listening deserve to cash more, I'd say. I'll agree with that. All right. You going to watch from Turf Paradise? Uh, Probably not. I think that's probably the no. uh, best bet of the weekend, is I will not be at Turf Paradise. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, I'll be at, I'll be at Churchill, uh, wherever you are. Keep us posted on your picks. Uh, and keep it tuned in to this podcast tomorrow. We'll have Gary Young, hopefully Michael Baychalk on Friday, uh, lots of other people next week. Uh, Emily, really appreciate the time. Thank you. Oh, thank you. It was my pleasure.
All right, Emily Goldson, everyone. Again, May Hemley at Twitter. Uh, check out all the information she touched on at optics.com uh, and burstnet.com slash derby has our information. Uh, and opening night at Churchill is this Saturday with the Derby the following week. So lots to discuss, lots more to go over on how to bet the Kentucky Derby. Join us throughout the week. <laughs>